This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Jason Kong here with... Uh, Mary Lucas, who's playing Hurt today, joining us on the phone. This is a, a different experience, Mary, but, you know, we'll we'll get our way through it. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Thawing out over here from the ice and the snow this past week. It's been, uh, <laughs> I'm ready for the spring weather, that's for sure. Yeah, you may be waiting a few more months for that, but that's okay. That's okay. Well, we've got a, a wonderful show lined up today that we're very excited about. And, you know, we always love discussing resources that we think can help seniors and caregivers and really anyone in general. And we're going to be talking about something that uh, I think everyone's probably heard about, but maybe don't know the full extent of the resource available. And that's Meals on Wheels. And we are very pleased to welcome Alan Winstead. He is the executive director for Meals on Wheels Wake County. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Alan, I know some people hear about Meals on Wheels, and it's something that comes up, but maybe not everyone knows about exactly what you do as an organization and where you serve. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is Meals on Wheels and what areas you do serve? Absolutely, Mary. Hey, uh, you know, we think um, the most important question of the day for anybody is, what's for lunch? Uh, Mary, you and I, you know, we have a lot of uh, different choices when it comes to choosing what we want to eat for lunch. We can go to the grocery store, buy some food, take it home. Uh, We can go out to eat. We can do uh, delivery. We can, we may have leftovers from the night before that we eat for lunch, and Unfortunately, not everybody in our community have those same options. There are people, uh, our neighbors, our family, our friends, uh, who just are not able either to get out uh, and shop for food, who might not have all of the money that they need for food, or who even cannot stand in the kitchen and prepare food. And that's the, the gap that Meals on Wheels fills, that we take uh, prepared lunches, ready to eat uh, five days a week for folks who cannot uh, buy and or prepare their own food. Um, you know, and I, in the next week, for example, you know, we're going to have um, good lunches, lunches that I tried to eat if we haven't, if we have any extra, you know, we're, uh, mm-hmm. our folks will have meatloaf. Uh, We're going to have a smoked sausage dog uh, plate. We're going to have a fish cake plate. And so the the meals are, they're nutritious, but they're also food that that we like to eat. Um, So that's, and that's the difference between us and other services in the community, that our meals are ready to eat. They're hot. Um, People just can sit down and eat right at lunch. And we know that um, eating is very important. There are more and more studies, you know, that talk about social determinants of health, that eating right, eating good, nutritious food really produces healthy outcomes. And so that's why it's so important to get 
this food into people's hands. Um, we know, too, that uh, over the last two years, we really have um, seen people need more food and different varieties of food. So um, over the last two years, you know, Meals on Wheels has supplemented that prepared lunch with we've delivered fresh fruit, fresh produce, fresh eggs, honey, tea, uh, and are just trying to get more food into people's homes so that they can eat better. And and it's 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 really a simple concept. It's um, but it works. It's effective. We were also trying uh, to reach out to people who might not need our services uh, on a long term basis and. Um, as you know, we partner with Transitions Life Care for some of mm -hmm. some of the people that we serve in common, and so you're providing um, wraparound healthcare services, and we're taking the lunch uh, for for those people. We're working with um, Azi Pharmaceutical to deliver meals for breast cancer patients uh, in the community. We're working with the local hospitals as patients are being discharged from the hospital. And if, especially if they're going back uh, alone in a home where mm -hmm. there's no support, that we will take, you know, two weeks of meals right away just so that they have food in their refrigerator, their pantry, and things like that. And so, I don't know. I like to eat, and I can, <laughs> my experience at Meals on Wheels is that folks that we, we serve uh, appreciate the food as well. That's wonderful. I, what you do is so valuable to our community. Um, I want to talk a little bit. How does someone qualify for meals? What it, what do you have to do to qualify for meals on meals? That's right. Um, you know, and so we really um, we will work with. We have two programs. One, we have some dining rooms, some friendship cafes throughout uh, the community where people who can are mobile and can get to a, a that setting they can go and they can hang out and they can eat lunch and then for other people who really are homebound and cannot get out um, you know we will deliver the meal to them and that's where we serve most of our people um, to eat in a dining room um, folks need to be 60 or older and then people to have the meal delivered um, they just need to be uh, beyond the age of 18 there's no cost for people to participate in meals on wheels we will give people an opportunity to make a, a contribution to defray the cost of the service but there's never uh, a cost to receive meals on wheels um, we That's we do cool. have a, a we do have a quick queen screening process uh, you know mm -hmm. And just ask folks, um, you know, if they're able to get out to shop, to cook, uh, just some some very basic general questions, and and then um, we can put them put them on a route. We um, serve obviously Raleigh uh, and all throughout Wake County. So those are you know Morrisville to Zebulon, from Wake Forest to to Fuquay. And what I will say is that every county does have a Meals on Wheels program. So while if you live outside of Wake County, um, you, we won't be able to deliver the meals there. But your local county does have a Meals on Wheels program. 
that people can take advantage of. That's wonderful. I, I know from personal experience, you, you all take volunteers. Can you talk to us a little more, more about what your volunteers do and how to sign up to be a volunteer? Absolutely. The volunteers are, are really uh, uh, critical to our mission. Um, every day we have between 100 and 125 volunteers out on the roads, knocking on uh, doors, delivering the food. And those people do a couple of things. One, they're driving those, those many miles every day, and they're giving their time. And those in-kind services, you know, we value a, a, over the year, that's more than a million dollars worth of in-kind services that people in this community provide to Meals on Wheels, and we're very grateful for that. But they're also, as they're delivering the meal, they're helping us to do some other things so that Meals on Wheels is more than a meal. You know, as they're knocking on the door, you know, they're, they're checking on the person, uh, you know, that overnight everything went well or over the weekend that nothing has um, changed with their health condition or as they're walking up, you know, they're looking at their home, the place that they live, uh, they're noticing things that, that might be a flag. So they're providing that in just a real quick in-home check. Um, they're also providing an opportunity uh, to socialize, to make a social connection with the community. And, you know, I think as we've all learned over the last two years, you know, being isolated, it's just, it's not a very good experience. Um, you know, if you're living alone, you're not going out, you're not seeing things. And so if we can imagine, you know, being on, uh, staying at home, isolating uh, for a short period of time, uh, the folks we work with do it all of the time. And so, you know, having that person just to talk, having a short conversation makes all the difference in the world. And then that volunteer really is a communicator between the participants and Meals on Wheels. While Meals on Wheels only provides, um, you know, food delivery, we're connected to the community and we can help um, our participants connect to other resources in the, uh, that are available to them. And so that's, um, you know, so we're, we take the meal, that's important, but we're more than a meal. Mm -hmm. And the volunteers really help us to do that. Uh, to volunteer, uh, we ask a person to spend, you know, about 60 minutes, sometime between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock, uh, Monday, through, Monday through Friday. Uh, we, mm -hmm. uh, we give, it takes about an hour to deliver. We have, a, we have an amazing app, so we are high-tech now. We download the name, and you, you feel like you're a, a, a delivery driver. It says, go here, turn right at the light, turn left at the light, and the house will be on the left. You say that you've delivered this, and it takes you to the, the next person. Um, and so it's, uh, people can do it. Uh, we can partner people up here. People can bring a partner. Uh, companies can do it as a team-building exercise. People can come one day a week or one time, one time a week, one time a month. Um, and we really have a scheduling system that people can look and, and go on and, volu and volunteer. The regular volunteers 
you know, go to see the same people. And over time, they really build an amazing relationship with them. That is so wonderful. And if folks either want to utilize the, the service of Meals on Wheels, Alan, or if they want to become a volunteer, what's the best way to do that? That's right. We can do all of those things um, on our website. And our web address is www.wakemow.org. Very good. That's Wake M-O-W stands for Meals on Wheels.org. He is Alan Winstead, the Executive Director for Meals on Wheels of Wake County. Alan, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing information about this wonderful resource right here in our community. Hey, again, it's, a, it's my pleasure to be able to work uh, with the volunteers, our participants, our staff at Meals on Wheels, and, and really just see the generous support that we get from this this community and the partnerships we have. So it's my pleasure to, to talk about Meals uh, on Wheels. You're very kind to say that again. Alan Winstead with Meals on Wheels, Wake County. Don't forget, wakemow.org is the website. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here, Mary Lucas as well on the phone. She's playing a little bit hurt today, but she's a trooper getting through it. And, uh, you know, things are about to get a lot more comfortable here on the show because we've got one of our favorite guests. I don't know how many times he's been on the show, but he always does a wonderful job. We are pleased to welcome back Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, as we are going to have a conversation about four things that matter most. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Mark, we've had you on the show before talking about all sorts of topics surrounding palliative and hospice care and end of life and chronic illness. And today we're going to address a new very important topic and a profound question. Uh, what matters most at end of life? Why is this relevant, Mark, and why is it, this question so important to consider right now? Well, thank you, Mary and Jason, for having me on. I'm not sure that this is a comfortable topic. In fact, uh, it's one that's probably most uncomfortable to folks. Um, I really appreciate the chance to share some of what I've learned about death and dying over the past 43 years in my nursing career. Um, you know, I think Ben Franklin really summed it up pretty well. He said, in this world, there's nothing certain except death and taxes. So I'd like to start off with some of the basic facts of life and death that I've learned uh, during my past 15 years in teaching hospice and palliative care. Uh, the first fact of life, which I um, think is um, humorous, is that really life itself is a sexually transmitted terminal condition. You know, the moment we enter this world and take our first breath, we really are also beginning that journey that ultimately leads to our last breath at the end of life. Sort of like 
in the Lion King. It's the circle of life that we're going to talk about. You know, death being the most inevitable fact of life. However, most Americans really are scared to death to talk about dying. A majority of people uh, that I bring this topic up with are like the three monkeys. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Thinking that if we ignore death, it's going to make it go away. You know, the second important thing is to realize that this year, three and a half million Americans are, are going to die. Over 9,000 Americans die every day, which is about six a minute. Um, globally, 55 million people are going to die. Two people die every second. The third important fact, because this is an important topic, is that 200,000 Americans will die suddenly and unexpectedly this year. 550 people every morning wake up thinking that they're going to go about their business, but they're going to meet their maker before the clock strikes midnight. You know, every three minutes, someone in our country dies an accidental death. Could be a car accident, a fall, random shooting, choking, poisoning, heart attack, stroke. None of these people expect that they were going to wake up today and it would be their last day. So I think it's really important for us to understand how important it is to communicate to our loved ones what really matters most. You know, 30 years into my nursing career, I had worked in operating rooms post-surgery, and I really learned almost nothing about how to help people prepare to die well at the end of life. But that changed for me, you know, back in 2004 when my father and my brother Gary were both diagnosed with terminal cancer and died within two months of each other under the care of hospice. Uh, when I was helping care for them at that time, it really introduced me to the whole world of hospice and end-of-life care that I had never experienced as a professional and set me on this whole new chapter, forced me to think personally of my own mortality and what really matters most when you boil it down. It's caring and loving the people and relationships that you have, your family, your friends, and your colleagues. So um, over the past years, I really have been looking toward helping people understand what matters most. And I'd like to preface it that I'm not an expert on death and dying. I haven't died yet, so I have no firsthand knowledge about what this is like. But even working 15 years in this field, I've really begun to just scratch the surface of what I think is important to observe and learn from people who are facing end of life. Mark, that's some very good insight. And I think, you know, some of us are getting more familiar with talking about death. Sadly, over the last two years of a pandemic, we've been hearing it on the news daily about the number of infections and deaths. We keep hearing this word over and over again. Um, how might this information overload be contributing to people uh, just not wanting to think about it anymore? You know, we can just be like, oh, COVID's done. Let's not worry about it anymore. Let's not talk about it anymore. But why is it important for us to know all this and what really impact has the pandemic had in this arena? Well, you know, of course, we're all aware of the devastation that the pandemic has begun to rot. Uh, you know, in less than two years, more than five and a half million people have died globally. And in the U.S., just this week, we've exceeded five, 860,000 deaths. COVID now is the number three cause of death in America and exceeded only by cancer and heart disease. In fact, uh, last year, life expectancy dropped two years, which is the first time in history we've seen life expectancy in the U.S. decrease. 
you know, at the peak of the pandemic here, someone was dying in the U.S. from COVID every minute around the clock. Um, and what we see is some of the most challenging aspects of this right now is how many of these people died while being physically separated from their families who are unable to be with them in the hospitals and the nursing homes beside their loved ones to say their final goodbyes. Uh, this lack of social connection has led to much complicated grief, people having unfinished business, not being able to come to the bedside and communicate with their loved ones. And almost all of us know somebody who's seen this kind of loss over the past two years. Um, even in my own family, my sister-in-law's father fell down, bumped his head at home. Uh, he got stitched up in the emergency room, but he was not safe to go home. And so they admitted him to a rehab facility for recovery. And while he was there two weeks later, he caught COVID and died. Um, his daughter, my sister-in-law, wasn't allowed to be there to say goodbye. Facilities were in lockdown. It's still happening today. So I think that we just have fatigue hearing about this, but it's not going to go away for some time. And we have literally millions of people who are grieving the loss of loved ones that have not been there to uh, express their condolences or their things that matter most to them. Do you think that in years coming, you know, we're out of COVID, this pandemic is over, do you think that the effects of these situations, not being able to say goodbye to a loved one because of a lockdown or, um, you know, sudden death because of COVID, do you think that this will pe shy people away from having these conversations in the years to come and also shy people away from the resources, getting the help that they need, such as hospice or palliative care? Do you think that maybe one of these experiences that someone had is going to scare them of those conversations later? Uh I'm hoping and believing that the opposite is going to be true. Um, in fact, it's been said recently, there's been articles written that, that grief is the next pandemic. As we come out the other side of the physical devastation of uh, human loss, it's the people left behind that are the next people that are grieving and uh, having to deal with the emotional baggage that this has, has brought about. So I'm hoping that sort of the universality of death and the frequency of it and us be able to really sympathize and empathize with those who've gone through it. Because like I say, almost all of us can think of somebody, a relative, a friend, a colleague, who if not uh, lost one directly, know of a family member of a friend or a colleague who's lost a loved one. So I'm hoping that people will normalize the fact that this is a reality and that we need to talk about it and we can get help from places like the Horizon uh, Transitions Grief Center and other resource centers. And it is important to have these conversations and to, to normalize it, Mark. I think you make a great point there. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation with him right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. 
with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Mark Philbrick. He is the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we're going through the four things that matter most. And uh, we were just talking about the importance of having a Converse, conversations about death and uh, Mary, you know, you've you've promised us we're we're gonna lighten things up here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that that was a lot of uh, that was very gloomy, um, but I want to turn it around with you, Mark. Now, so we've got all the bad news out of the way. I'm hoping that you're coming to share some good news with our listeners today. What can we do about all of this, and what are some practical lessons on how to cope with all the loss and the grief that we're feeling and um, that maybe we felt over the last few years of the pandemic before we drown in it. Yeah, well, I, I warned you up front that this could be pretty challenging conversation. You know, it was it was Shakespeare that said, "There's no good time to tell bad news." Um, so, um, bad news is is hard to hear. In fact, my kids uh, jokingly call me Debbie Downer. You know, wah wah wah, <laughs> because of my, my life and work and experience, I've become so comfortable talking about uncomfortable things. Um, I've normalized it in my own home, but it's not easy to talk about these. But I did, I came across a book that really has helped me navigate these challenging conversations that I highly recommend to everybody. And that's the the title of our talk today is The Four Things That Matter Most is a book by Dr. Ira Bioc. And it has a great subtitle, a book about living. Because what matters most is expressing what we want to live like. You know, in his book, Dr. Biox shares a bunch of stories about his patients. He spent over 30 years of his medical career as a hospice and palliative care doctor and personally observed and really treated thousands of dying patients. And it comes down to every one stage of life where their illness is beyond medical cure. Sometimes we hear a doctor says there's nothing more we can do well, Dr. Biok realized that that was not the case. More accurately, we should say there's nothing more medically we can do to cure your illness. However, there's much more that we can do because fundamentally, the nature of serious illness is only partially medical. The fundamental nature of a serious illness and death is more than medical. It's personal and individual because death ends a life, but not a relationship. So when you talk to somebody being wheeled into the operating room for transplant or a cancer patient, and you ask them what's on their mind, the answer is always involves people, always. You never heard a dying person ask me, uh, when's the next iPhone upgrade coming out? You know, it's clearly important that relationships is what it boils down to. And the best deaths, he said, come from closure that life boils down to saying 11 words in four short sentences. And those words, the magic words are, please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. It's that simple, but it's not easy. Well, that sounds interesting. I I feel like I say some of those every once in a while, but um, 
it seems a little bit too simple to believe. I would love to dive with you in, into these each a little bit more in depth. Could you tell us about the first two things? Please forgive me and I forgive you. Those seem so easy in these conversations. Right. You know, as we can see, the four things really aren't things at all, but are summed up in these three key practices, really of expressing forgiveness, gratitude, and love. And forgiveness, both giving it and receiving it, is probably one of the most important and most challenging of the four things that matter most. Because by nature, as human beings, we're imperfect. And as human beings, we inflict wounds on those that we're in relationship with. So many times what we say or do or what we don't say or do leaves wounds and scars in the people we love. So sometimes those emotional scars are tiny cuts, little by little over time. And in some cases, they're really heavy, inflicted, deep wounds, abuse, neglect, intentional harm. You know, Biox says that it's not, forgiveness really isn't about making excuses for someone's bad behavior. And it's really not forgetting that someone hurt you. You know, the old adage, forgive and forget, is totally ridiculous. To forgive someone, you don't have to forget that his or her misdeeds hurt you or never happened. Forgiving really doesn't require forgetting. Forgetting is amnesia. Real forgiveness requires remembering. Remembering, but involving your heart, bringing full awareness that you've been harmed and somebody feels it. You know, it's a really, it's a generous act. Forgiving is about yourself rather than the other person. Uh, Lily Tomlin had a great quote. She said, I've given up all hope for a better past. You know, the reality is forgiving involves accepting that the past can't be changed, but recognizing you can't let the past control your future. Um, a story personally that I, I got from this was that in high school, there were three friends of mine that I, I had done things to that, you know, really bothered me. And it wasn't, I moved away after uh, high school, I went to nursing school and I moved away 500 miles from home. And it was 10 years later that I went to my high school reunion and tried to reunite with these folks. And each one of them, I went and apologized for what I had done and tried to make an amends. The first one I went to, he remembered what I did. And I tried to uh, give him some money. I had ripped him off his money tried to give it to him and he said, F you, I don't want your money. And so I said, well, I'm trying to make amends. I had no control over the fact whether he accepted my forgiveness or not. The others accepted the forgiveness and we were able to move forward. You know, we can only take care of our side of the relationship. So expecting your words or expressions to be returned in kind, you have a high risk of being disappointed. And 90% of this is showing up the other 10% is arriving with good intentions and a sincere heart. So it's asking the person for forgiveness. And if they're no longer reachable or in your life or they've died, literally you can put an empty chair in front of you and express thinking of that person, what you did wrong, and asking forgiveness. So offering forgiveness is really important too. If someone's harmed us, we want to make sure that we can give the forgiveness and accept the forgiveness of others. It, it really is freeing our own selves 
from the burden of carrying baggage. So thinking of the people in your life that you've done harm to that you want to reconcile with before it's too late. Some really good points there. You know, I, I think a, a lot about things that have happened in my past. For many, it's it's something that's very hard to let go of and move forward and um, and not get stuck in the past and keep looking backwards. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I know, um, you know, it's it's sometimes hard to forgive people and you think of all the ways you've hurt or, um, and moving forward from that can be difficult. Can, you know, how do people move forward without looking, keep looking backwards and, and you know, let go of the past and the, the harm that's been done and look forward? Yeah, I, um I don't know who it was that said something that I think is really wise, that being unforgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, holding on to those grudges uh, is just poison <laughs> our soul. Um, so for me, I think one of the most important things is realizing it's not forgetting what the other person did, but it's not letting it poison you. And, um, and so also, you know, fool me, once shame on you fool me twice shame on me you can forgive somebody but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going honky-dory about life with that person you learn from the experience but you just don't let that continue to poison your heart and soul um, but be wise enough to set the boundaries that you need in order to continue in relationship it's a process that's easier said than done, but, you know, taking those steps and being thoughtful about it and um, being prepared for the possible reactions to an apology is, is something that you, we all do need to take into account. We're having a really fascinating conversation with Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue this conversation right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care and want to find more about the resources available to you online, be sure to check out transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and on the line we have Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we are going over the four things that matter most, and we were just wrapping up a conversation on forgiveness. And now, Mary, we're going to pivot a little bit over to gratitude. Yes, it seems like there's more on the surface, uh, or more than appears on the surface about gratitude. Mark, can you talk to us a little about the third thing in this book, uh, the thank you? Sure. The third thing, first, is please forgive me. Second, I forgive you. The next is thank you. Uh, it's really expressing the power of gratitude in your life. You know, gratitude to the people that we love, 
makes a positive deposit in everyone's emotional bank. You know, all of us appreciate a sincere thank you. It's so easy in our everyday life and grind the mundane of the world to forget to express our appreciation for all the things, little and small, that people do to us. But over the years, you know, personally, I've gotten better at expressing thanks verbally and um, also making sure I take a few minutes to express my thanks to others uh, by sending thank you notes and thank you cards. My mother died when I was 21 years old, and now even 45 years later, I still hear her in the back of my head saying, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. The simple golden rule. You know, I enjoy getting thank you cards. I enjoy getting people expressing appreciation. And so, likewise, I need to express appreciation and love and gratitude to those that are in my life. You know, we uh, we teach this class live, and when we do in-person classes on the four things that matter most, we really want the participants to take a minute of silence and think about all the people in their life that they really appreciate and have made a deposit in their life, and that they may not have taken the time to express gratitude. So then taking a minute to jot the names of all those people on a piece of paper, and then write priority order. How would you like to thank these people? And in our classes, we actually hand out thank you notes, and we have everyone in the class write a thank you note to somebody in their life to express their words of gratitude. And sometimes that may not be practical, but giving somebody a call or a text or an email, just sincere words of encouragement, uh, frees your soul to really help lift them up as well as yourself. Yeah, it really makes a difference. Um, and I can share a personal story. Um, there was a, a young man, a uh, very close family friend of ours. There were three three brothers, the Bordeaux brothers, who lived not far from us, and they were about the same age as my three children. And um, throughout the years, we got to know each other really well. And Philip, the youngest of them, enrolled in the Navy and was in the Navy for a number of years. And I used to take him out when he was on leave and we'd play golf together and share stories. And uh, just a really fine young man. And a week before he was re-enlisting, he was stationed in uh, Naples, Italy. And on the way to work, he got hit by a truck and killed instantly, 21 years old. Um, I spoke at his funeral. It was devastating for me and my family. And a few months, probably five months later, his mother called me and said that she finally had the strength to go through his possessions. And he, she found a stack of letters. And they were letters to different people. And she said, one of the letters is for you. And so she gave me the letter, and he hadn't had the time to mail them. But it was a thank you letter from Philip. I got five months after his death expressing his appreciation for me. And as you can tell, I'm still choked up. This was years ago. But it really meant a lot to have that person express in a thank you note what I meant to them. And so paying it forward to other people, expressing your love and appreciation has really healing property for those people who take the time to do it. Wow, that's an incredible story and really touching. And, um, you know, I've, I've I've written thank you notes in the past and something that's very important to me and um, handwritten notes are, I feel like, also a thing of the past. I, I feel like not many people do them anymore. 
um, but they are so meaningful and it's something that I got back in the habit of doing during COVID. Um, when you couldn't always see everybody in person, um, it was nice to almost have that, you know, old school personal feel again in, in writing a letter to somebody. Um, so it's very special. Um, makes a lot of sense. I think I, I can see how that could have a positive, all these things have a really positive impact on relationships in all areas of our life. Um, Mark, can you talk us through the last part of this book, the fourth thing, the I love you? Yes. Um, the last three words can really be challenging, especially if they have not been modeled in your life. You know, sometimes the words of love get watered down in our culture. You know, how many times have I said, I love a peanut butter sandwich or an Oreo cookie, or I love golf, I love naps, you know? Um, and so expressing those words, I love you, to somebody can be so meaningful and sometimes overlooked. You know, a great book I really recommend on this topic further is a popular book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. You know, in his book, he explains that all of us have a primary love language that resonates with us. Um, and there are five different primary love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time, and acts of service. You know, as we approach these five different things, usually we lean toward one or another. And um, the love language of words of affirmation is saying those I love yous to the people in your life. Uh, you know, another personal example, my dad was 80 years old before I heard him say I love you to me for the first time. Um, part of my experience, he lived with me for three months in his last stage of life. And I asked him all sorts of questions. I want to make sure there were no unanswered questions. And I recorded those. He was a storyteller, so we were recording stories. And I asked him the question. One of the hardest questions I asked him is, why did it take you 80 years to say I love you to me for the first time? And he paused and he thought, and he said, you know, I never heard it from my father, so I assumed you just knew it, and I guess I didn't need to say it. So just understanding that his background was, he hadn't heard it, didn't think he needed to say it. Allowed me to forgive him for that. I mean, I was 50 years old and waiting to hear that. But I understood how hard it was for him to give something that he had never received. But I guarantee you this, expressing love verbally to people sincerely will help heal the final wounds or unfinished business you may have. You know, I promise you. There'll be 500 people today who die unexpectedly. And if I'm one of those, I know for certain, if you ask any of my three kids, what were the last words your father said? They'd say, he said, I love you. There's no need to wait until you're dying or your deathbed to say these four things. In fact, they can aid us in living every day. So don't miss a chance to give forgiveness, gratitude, and love to those that you love. That's a great advice. And, you know, I, I, um, some may not know, but in my, all the extra free time I have after the radio and my real job, uh, I, I actually, uh, work at a restaurant here locally. And I was listening over, I overheard a conversation a couple of weeks ago and a woman was asking her friend, she, she said, did your parents ever tell you that they loved you? And she said, no, I've, and I've never really said it to anybody else. And, it hit me because 
my parents did say that, but not everyone's do. And it really did hit me when I was listening to them talk about that and, and those experiences and how they've shaped their life. And um, it's something that's really important to think about. Um, and you mentioned the love languages, Mark. I think that's a great um great resource and something that everyone should think about. Can you tell people where to find more about the five love languages? Sure. In fact, I would recommend you go online and just fivelovelanguages.com and it's the number five lovelanguages.com and there is actually a free online love language quiz. It's going to ask awesome. you some questions. You plug in your answers and it will let you know what are your primaries. Definitely. Um, and can you give us a brief, briefly, where can people go to learn more about the Transitions Life Care Community education classes um, and more on these topics coming up in the future that you are presenting? Absolutely. If you go to transitionslifecare.org and click on the calendar, we have a list of free classes that are coming up. I'll be teaching on this same topic on February 1st from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m and repeating the class on four things that matter most on February 3rd from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Uh, we do have free classes a couple times a month and on our website, transitionslifecare.org, under the calendar section, you click and register free for any of the classes. And they are all online Zoom classes that will be uh, offered live. That's wonderful. That's a great resource that everyone can take part in. If you want to find more information, be sure to head over to transitionslifecare.org. He is Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Mark, thanks as always for your time. You're welcome. That was great. Well, that will do it for us today. We are out of time, but we hope you will join us next weekend. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.